Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, good morning. I trust this morning finds you strong in your spirit and ready to receive a word from God. So, Lord, we do, we thank you that your word will not return void to you, but will accomplish what you've sent it to do in every heart that's listening by way of radio today or by way of the streaming. Let your word work mightily in our hearts. Amen. Well, God bless as you listen this morning. I want to continue something I was speaking about last week, built on a series we're doing where Jesus said, he would build his church. Jesus said to his disciples in that context that the law and the prophets were preached until John the Baptist. But since that time, the good news of the kingdom is being preached. This good news of the kingdom is that God is going to reign not through man's effort, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ on this planet. We don't throw out the Old Covenant, but they were until John to give us a foreshadowing of the New Covenant. And there are many beautiful pictures in there that we draw, and providing we keep Christ central to them, they are filled with messages of wisdom and encouragement and warning. But for example, we looked last week, Jesus gave a new commandment. He says, a new commandment. I give you that you love one another as I've loved you. You see, there's a difference between the old covenant command, which was the first command in the Ten Commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love one another, which was a demanding command. It's a command given to you for you to perform as a demand. But the new covenant version of that that Jesus gives is an empowering command. It's a command of love one another as I have loved you. So to fully appropriate and to tap into the agape that we can share with one another, we have first got to find satisfaction and refreshing in knowing his love for me. We don't love now in order to get his love. We love now because we have been so loved. We don't start at a place of, Lord, I love you, but we start at a place of, I am highly loved. And it's this love that gives the DNA of what the body of Jesus looks like. We spent a couple of weeks looking at this church that Jesus is building, and we took note that the word church, the word ecclesia was a familiar term expressing a governmental cultural positioning of a citizen as a citizen of Rome. A bit like if you were an ambassador to another country from South Africa. You would carry the government authority of the country that sent you. Not the current you go to or the currency of that country, but the authority and the currency of the country that sends you. So we understand that now where two or three are gathered, where we put our foot, where we stand to bind and loose. We are the 
authority and government of heaven. But there's more to this message. And that's the second part we've been looking at and we looked at last week. What does this ecclesia look like? What is a healthy ecclesia? What is a healthy oikos church in the home? And not just here talking about your direct family, wife, children, but the body that he's placed you into, the community where you break bread with each other, where you pray for one another, where you fellowship, where you use your gifts in prophecy and instruction and in and the, the other gifts of the Spirit and, and worship together. What is that? And what does the healthy body look like? So last week we looked at eight one another's. And this morning I'm hoping to get to the next eight one another's. So if you would turn with me, in your Bible, I hope it comes up on the screen this morning. But if you're listening by radio, I hope you've got your Bible in front of you. I'm going to continue the order. Number nine is that the Bible says in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Say that. Submit. To one another. Now it's interesting that this verse is placed in Ephesians just before Paul goes on to explain the outworking of that in the husband, wife, children, slave environment. So before he even gets to husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, children, honor your parents, all that stuff, he starts with submit to one another. You see, submission is not a one-way street. Submission is not just uh, for one uh, person towards another person, a wife to a husband, and uh, a brother to a leader. It's a two-way street, this. And to submit just means that we recognize the gifting and the authority that God has placed on that person. You learn that in the military. You don't just salute a lieutenant because you like him or he's clever. You salute him because he is carrying the authority that's been bestowed on him. And there is a governmental order in the kingdom of God, in the family, the church. And when we practice this and we submit to one another, it says out of reverence to Christ. So it's not just submitting to that person. It's being done because we revere Christ. And it's a beautiful thing when submission flows both ways. When people are able to say, I recognize your gifts and your authority, and you recognize my gifts and my authority. And because of that, submission is a healthy thing. It won't get abused because there's a humility in biblical submission. We know it got twisted for many years where dominant males thought they could walk in and rule the roost based on the scripture. And thank God we have been set free from that masochistic, misogynistic spirit. But at the same time, we are not saying that woman's liberation has got all the answers now. We're saying a spirit of humility as we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Number 10. Philippians 2 verse 4 says, Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests 
of one another. Say own interests, one another. We all have interests. I don't know what your interests are. They might include some of your sports, your, your hobbies, the things you enjoy doing. You're a bookworm or you're a, a gardener. But there's something of an interest in our life that God has given us to enjoy. And God delights in us having interests and things that we enjoy. All this says is look to others' interests, not only your own. You see, this is one of the muscles, the one another muscles in the body of Christ that enables it to function healthily. You can often hear a conversation. I have in the past overheard, you know, where someone will be talking and they just start saying, you know, my child uh, enrolled for swimming at the school and uh, they've started training early in the morning. And then the other person that they're talking to will jump in. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. Let me tell you about my kids. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have had that happen to you. And then when the first person talking goes back to telling their story, you see the second person's eyes just glaze over. They can't wait for an opportunity to tell them their next good story. Now, I, I know you, you're thinking, yeah, Steve, that sounds like you. But I've got an excuse, okay? I've got no excuse. The truth of the matter is, at times we get absorbed and carried away in our own interest. But this is a mirror that's being held up to us and says, this is what love looks like. When you are interested in others and listen to their conversations, they'll include their dreams, their aspirations, their hopes, and their dreams. You see, that's sharing with the interests of others. Number 11, in Hebrews 10 verse 24, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Say spur one another. And that word spur was a familiar term to someone riding a horse. It's what got the horse moving. It's a great term, I think. It's got such a beautiful uh, picture to it that it's that little jab, that little, come on, you can do it, that little skip in the step that pushes someone forward. Consider how you can spur. So think about ways you can spur someone else to keep growing. I know I had somebody in my life as a young Christian, and I'm so thankful to God. Bert, if you're listening to this this morning, yeah, it's you I'm talking about. Bert and Margaret took me into their home as a young delinquent, had just got saved. My life was a shambles. It was a mess. And they kept on encouraging me, spurring me on, telling me, go one more round. Get up off the floor. You can do it. We're not throwing the towel in. They kept spurring me. I mean, almost to the point of embarrassment. I dared not miss a prayer meeting. Because back then we didn't have cell phones, but he was waiting for the opportunity to see me. And he'd get this like look in his face and he'd like, you know, tilt his head a bit and he'd say, um, did you have a problem on Tuesday night? And I knew what he was talking about, even though I evaded the question. But he wasn't doing it out of a policing. He was doing it out of a, Come on, Steve, I want to spur you on. Don't forsake the gathering together when we pray. Don't forsake the gathering on a Thursday night when we come together for the breaking of bread. Don't uh, despise the gathering on Sunday when we come around the scripture and the apostles' doctrine. He was spurring me on. I don't know who spurs you on. 
I don't know what spurs you on, but think about it. How can you spur somebody else on? Number 12, 1 Peter verse, chapter 4 verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Say, hospitality to one another. Hospitality is just recognizing that your resources have been given to you by God to be a blessing to other people. I was chatting to a friend yesterday who's, who felt God lead them to take a missionary family into their house at this time. Now, not everybody has faith for that or has a sense that God leading them that way. But isn't that a beautiful picture of hospitality? But you know, just having a person over for a meal requires some hospitality. Having someone over for fellowship. There's something about a meal that just does it when you gather around a meal. I know Janet loves to entertain people. It's a gift I've got to let her practice because she gets a lot of satisfaction about showing hospitality. If we grumble, as it says here, uh, offer hospitality without grumbling to one another, then it means we're doing something that we have to do and not what we want to do. So we have to change is that mental attitude and say, this is not going to be something I feel I have to do. I'm going to start to want to do this. And there's a great uh, reward in hospitality. Number 13. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Isn't that beautiful? Say with me, whatever gift for one another. Whatever gift to serve one another. I've said this many times. I'll say it again, that there's a unique gifting in each one of us. You carry something on your life that is a gift to this generation. You might not even be aware how vital that plays, a role that plays. In fact, often our gifts are the things that we do effortlessly without thinking about it. So we just assume that everybody can do this therefore it's not that valuable because it's kind of you know doesn't everybody have this gift everyone should be able to do i know it comes naturally to you maybe serving comes more naturally to you than me maybe administering and overseeing a project comes more naturally to you maybe just being generous romans chapter 12 talks about the gift of generosity the gift of leadership the gift of prophecy the gift of of Mercy, showing mercy. Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 list a number of gifts that are natural and spiritual gifts. But there's lots of other gifts. There's just gifts of of kindness. There's gifts of, of boldness. There's gifts of teaching and preaching and, and, and singing. What a beautiful gift that is. So whatever gift you've received, the Bible says, employ that gift to serve others. 
Now, now here's a few provisos I want to throw in here. We have to take an honest evaluation of our gift. Because if our gift is still at a level of serving 10 people, let's not use our gift to try and serve a 1,000 people. What do I mean by that? Well, if you can show hospitality to 10 people, that's great. But if you take that to a couple of hundred people, it's a whole nother gift. You know, that's even true of worship leading. Some people have a gift to lead 10 people, and some have a gift to lead a 1,000 people. Bible says use your gift and faithfully serve as a steward of God's grace. I know when people have got grace for something, because when they're doing it, grace is flowing from them to the people. So if you have been called to teach and you are gifted to teach, then the scripture says as faithful stewards of that grace, you are imparting grace to the people you're teaching. But if you don't have that gift, it's also obvious, because then when you're teaching, they're having to extend grace to you in the teaching. Grace is flowing the wrong way, you might say. Now, that's not to put you down. That's not to make you feel inferior. That's just to say, take an honest estimation a sober evaluation of what your gift is and to who that gift must be applied. So that grace will flow from you to the person in that specific situation. Number 14, James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Say that with me. Confess to each other. Now notice with me, it's not specifically referring to confession to get forgiven. The Bible is very clear in the New Covenant that when you received the finished work of Jesus Christ, all your sins were forgiven. Now, if we go and sin after that and say, well, I'm allowed to just do whatever I want to, that's pretty stupid. And Paul addresses that in Romans 6 as somebody who's been set free from their, their slave master going back under the slave master's authority. I mean, that's just dumb. I mean, why do that? But forgiveness is not done in installments. Forgiveness isn't every time I come to God and feel sorry, he come kind of takes a tipex pen and, and scratches it out. No, my friend, what Jesus did on the cross tipexed all your sins. In fact, it didn't just tipex them, it burnt the paper that the stuff was written on in the first place and the dust was separated as far as the east is from the west. You've got to know that the righteousness that he's placed on you is not your own. It's not incremental. It's not conditional to something we do or what we say. This year is talking about confessing sins to one another for the sake of healing in relationships and personal healing. Because like they say, there's nothing that takes a load off your shoulder when you're able to sit with someone you trust and unpack something stupid you've done. It's very healthy, very good. No, we're not going to start a confessional booth here at the church. But in all seriousness... 
they did have something going there. Because there's something about sitting with someone you trust, who's got integrity, that you can pour your heart out. Not to be forgiven only by God, but to have a cleansing in your conscience. Now it goes on straight after talking about this confessing our sins to each other and all that, that we may be healed, and says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, some would misinterpret that and say, okay, once I've confessed my sins, now I'm righteous. Now my prayers are put. No, no, that's not what it's saying. It's because you've been made righteous, your prayers are powerful and effective. Now, as we pray for one another to be healed, we are activating the prayer that is powerful and effective. I hope you see that with me. I hope you see that when somebody comes to you and says, I need to get something off my chest. I need to confess something really stupid I did in the traffic yesterday and I used a very bad word and I threw something out my window at them and, and I wish they you know, were set on fire or something and I'm feeling so bad about it. Remember, you as a confidant, if you are a believer and you've had your sins cleansed and you stand in the righteousness of God, your prayer for them is powerful and effective. And by releasing them from that burden, you are restoring to them if they have also made Jesus Christ their Savior, to stand in their righteousness and pray again powerfully and effectively. I hope you see that with me. And to say that this scripture shouldn't be practiced nilly-willy. It shouldn't just be used at a life group meeting with 30 new visitors in attendance. Can you imagine one of your trusted life group leaders puts their hands up and say, I, I want to do what the scripture says. I want to confess my sin. So yesterday um, I robbed a bank and in the process shot three people. And I'm feeling bad about it, but the Bible says if I confess my, my sins, I'll be healed. No, don't do that. Don't say that. Confess your sin in a safe environment. Confess it's appropriate to the setting. You say, Steve, uh, you're kind of stating the obvious, but I, I've just learned in the ministry to state the obvious. Sometimes people will come out with something in a public forum. It's like throwing confetti off the top of a building. You might feel a release, but you're never going to pick up all those pieces. Once the damage is done, the damage is done. I would say, even in the scripture, be very selective and very wise in the people you speak to. Can they be trusted? Are they confidential? Do they have your heart? Number 15. Galatians 5 verse 26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Say, conceited, provoking Envying each other. Now that's a mouthful. It's quite a lot that he's uh, compressing into that one sentence. So conceited. That often is just the feeling of I'm indispensable. You can't do without me. Provoking. That's usually an arrogant, sarcastic, cocky attitude that's always uh, trying to take a dig at other people. And envy, that happens when those who have humbled themselves are doing better than you or being lifted up by God and you 
aren't happy for them. So those are how those three work together. First of all, we get conceited. We think we're better than we are. Thirdly, we start becoming arrogant in that place. And then because others have humbled themselves and I'm walking in pride and the Bible says God gives grace to the humble but resists the pride because he doesn't, he can't give the pride promotion. He lifts them up. So that's why Paul is saying this because he doesn't want us to lose out on God's favor and God's promotion. So, okay, let's get on. Number 16. James 4 verse 11 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Say, slander one another. That is just putting down someone when they're not there to defend themselves. Or saying something about someone that can be taken out of context and hasn't been uh, properly explained. You can even hear that sometimes in a prayer meeting when someone mentions poor sister Gertrude who's having an affair, but I'm only saying that for prayer purposes. No, no, you've just slandered sister Gertrude because maybe you didn't know what's going on and you don't have the full picture. So simply put, Jesus says don't judge others because you can also be judged by the judgment you put on others. In James chapter 5 and verse 9 says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. You see, the same way we judge others, we're going to feel judged. And grumbling is such an easy trap to fall into. If you get out of bed on the wrong side, you're going to grumble. You know, Grumble that this person didn't greet me. Grumble that I went to this church and nobody phoned me when I was sick. Maybe you don't have the whole picture, the whole story. Maybe there's a very valid reason why you didn't get that phone call. For example, nobody found out about it. Or something else happened that you're not aware of. So grumbling is a state that we can very easily slip into. I'm grumbling right now about people grumbling. So can you see how easy it is to grumble? The church should have done more for me. Yeah. But when I pick up an offense with the church, especially when I grumble on someone else's behalf because someone said something, someone wasn't cared for, or someone uh, something happened in someone's life, and I, I pick up a grumble, a second-hand grumble, Let's call it that. It's a grumble on someone else's behalf. You know what's the problem with that? When they have resolved and got over their grumble, guess what? You're still grumbling because you weren't intended to pick up their grumble. So that's why it says don't grumble grumble or grumble because it's going to judge you. Judgment holds you in bondage. Judgment holds you captive. Judgment affects you subconsciously in ways that, 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 that neutralize you. So you see, my friend, in the same way we've been talking about the muscles in the body as the one another's, the expression of love through serving and kindness and honoring and, and submitting. In the same way the scripture's clear that the one another scriptures that go around do not slander, do not grumble. Don't be conceited and provoke and envy. 
These are like muscle relaxants. They just cause the body to get all floppy and all insecure. And the very muscles that were supposed to keep the body firm in the ecclesia have now been compromised. So I'm glad I'm not talking to people this morning because then someone is going to think I was talking about them. But I am talking to people, but I just am talking to you through this camera. And my parting word to you this morning is that Jesus is building his church. And that church is his authority on earth. But his church is a healthy family. It's a healthy body. And the scriptures that speak about one another are helping to reposition us in a healthy body, healthy family. So I would encourage you, even as I have spent many hours reflecting and praying and pouring over these uh, 20 passages, I would encourage you, wouldn't you do the same? Won't you take these verses and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, make a difference in my life by me practicing these things. Let me pray for you now. Lord, I just want to, first of all, acknowledge that the old man, the old nature is incapable of carrying out and practicing the high standard of your love. But Lord, I thank you that by your spirit, you have poured your love out into our hearts and that your love in your church is the recipe for the world's self-centeredness, selfishness and corruption. I pray that as we ask ourselves, what is a healthy body? What is a healthy church? These scriptures would come as mirrors and show us who we truly are. Lord, do a miracle, I pray, in the life of our Ecclesia. For your glory we pray. Amen.